You're listening to Church on the Park Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. Today's message is entitled, The Rock, The Rock. And I'm going to be sharing about Christ's resurrection and looking forward to sharing about this. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke 23, Luke 23. We were going to start in verse 33, but I think I'll just recap and we'll start in verse, I'll give you a little summary, and then we'll start in verse 50. So we'll start actually in Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Before I pray, how is everybody? Amen. Good to see you. Welcome, everybody. I'm going to pray, Father, I'm asking that you kiss this word, that you give me grace to share, that I would share out of your resurrection life, and that you would teach us how we can walk in your resurrection life. Just prepare our hearts for the word, and let your word work in us so that it brings life to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 And then if you can pray with some conviction, if you can put your hands on your hearts, please, and pray nice and loud. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life in your precious name. Amen. So again, the message is the rock. I don't have as much handouts because as I was printing them, I ran out of paper. But if uh, if you don't have the handout, you can get the digital copy later on. I'm going to be posting it tonight. The theme this morning is this. The road to resurrection life is found in the rock. The road to resurrection life is found in the rock. And I'll explain that in a moment. So we're going to be reading here from Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Before I get into this, just before this, Jesus dies on the cross, an agonizing death, and we read that he says in verse 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. So his breath was gone. He was dead. He gave up his spirit to the Father. And then it says in verse 50, And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut out into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near him, near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. We're going to stop there. So let me introduce the message to you some more. Some more. Paul's heart cry was to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. We read about that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10. He wanted to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And today I want to talk to you about and show you the way to resurrection life. This way is found hidden in the story of Christ's crucifixion and burial. Resurrection means restoration. It means the conquering of death. The resurrection also shows God's life triumphs over traumas and tragedies. Christ's resurrection reveals to us that the devil never has the last say. It also unveils that God has not rejected creation, the bodies he has formed. For Christ was physically raised from the dead. His body was raised. It wasn't just a spirit raised. His whole body was raised. Whatever you're struggling with, the answer is Christ's resurrection life within you. Ultimately, resurrection means shalom, God's peace, completeness, and wholeness. And it's out of Christ's resurrection life that you truly live and minister life to others. So what is the road to resurrection life? And we're talking about that resurrection life within us. What's the road to it? How do we get there? So let's talk about this. The first point, the R in this acrostic today, is rest. Rest by retreating to the rock of refuge. Rest by retreating to the rock of refuge. Can I hear an amen? amen? In order for Christ to be resurrected, he had to enter into God's rest. He was buried in the tomb. And it says here, and it says in other accounts of the Gospels, it was a rock. It was a rock that was hewn out. In one place it says it was Joseph's 
of Arimathea. It was his own tomb that he used for Jesus. And Jesus was put in this rock. And it was all done by the end of the preparation day, which was Friday, so that at the beginning of the Sabbath, which begins at Friday sundown, Jesus was in a place of rest. He said it was finished on the sixth day of the week when God finished all creation. And then on the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath, Jesus is at complete rest in the tomb. And in order for Christ to be resurrected, he had to enter into God's Sabbath rest. This meant that Jesus surrendered fully to the Father's will and committed his spirit to God. And this is how we begin to enter into God's rest. We fully surrender ourselves to God. We commit ourselves to the Father. And Jesus committed his spirit to the Father as we saw there. In the end, we know he said on the cross, it is finished. And he came to an end of his work. And in order for us to enter into God's Sabbath rest, we need to cease from our own works in order to enter into his work. We actually have to enter into a rest which is not merely taking a day off or just going to the beach, which is, I like doing that. You know, and even preparing this message, I went to the rocks in Shorncliffe. I thought on Good Friday I'll go for a walk at Sandgate, and I saw that the whole world was at Sandgate. It was jam-packed, lined with cars, up and down the streets, the side streets. I'd never seen so many cars there. And I thought, I can't get any rest here. Let me try to go around by the rocks and the cliffs. And then I found the park, and there wasn't that many people by the rocks and the cliffs. And so I sat on the rock there, a huge, you know, it's a huge cliff rock, and sat there, and I read, and I was meditating on the Sabbath, and meditating on this message that the Lord was giving me. And I'll talk more about God being our rock So finding Sabbath is entering into God's rest. After Jesus' death, and this is the ultimate death, this is the death of all deaths, Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus from Pontius Pilate. What a bold move. I mean, the disciples were terrified, and they were locked behind a closed door. Later, Jesus comes to the disciples, goes right through the door to say, Shalom Lechem, peace be with you. But even before that experience, Joseph is not afraid to be identified with Jesus and being one of his disciples. Now, who buries? Who buries a love? Who buries a person? A loved one. A loved one buries a person. And so when you bury someone, you're really identifying with them. And the fact that the disciples were not around, the 12 disciples, which was reduced to 11, shows us how completely they had forsaken Jesus because they they weren't there to bury their beloved rabbi. But 
some unknown disciples rose up to the occasion. And one of them was Joseph of Arimathea. He asked for the body of Jesus from Pontius Pilate. And then Joseph then put Jesus into his own tomb. Think about that. He gives his own tomb up. We read this in Matthew 27, 60. I'll start in verse 59 here. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a, in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn, hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. So here we see Joseph takes care of the body of Jesus, the body of Christ. Joseph wraps Jesus in clean linen, and this is Aramaic cloth because there was spices applied, and not just some cheap, inexpensive spices. These were very costly spices. Nicodemus also helps, as we read in another gospel account, and they covered Jesus' body in spices, expensive, lavish spices. And so while the tomb was dark, it was very fragrant. And when that seal broke over the tomb and the stone was rolled away miraculously, there would have been a, a burst of fragrance because of all the costly spices that Jesus was covered in. Now, I want you to notice how thoroughly and sacrificially Joseph of Arimathea took care of the body of Christ, even though the body of Christ could not help him at the present time. But what was he doing? He was preparing the body of Christ for resurrection. The Lord wants us to be like Joseph of Arimathea. Usually this is a man that's overlooked and forgotten about as preachers preach the story of the resurrection of Jesus. But without this man, there is no resurrection because he prepared the body for resurrection. Joseph, what does it mean? Yosef in Hebrew. Yosef, Joseph means he adds or Yahweh adds. Its Hebrew root means to increase. It means increase more, again, add, exceed, or join. And so a Joseph kind of man is someone, or a Joseph kind of person is someone who adds to others. He increases the life of others. He, he ministers to others. Also in the Hebrew root is the idea of again, he is, Joseph is someone who does the right thing again and again and again. They're a righteous man just like Joseph was in Genesis and how over and over through all of his temptations and trials and rejection and persecution, he continued to do the right thing over and over again. And God wants us to be like Joseph. When all the others are forsaking and running away, we boldly step out and do the work of God. We boldly go to Jesus' body even if it's dead. And I want you to see that there's a double meaning here. 
We're talking about Jesus' physical body. But also remember, you are Christ's body. You are the body of Christ. And so we are meant to be like Joseph to one another. Because many of us experience wounds and death and sickness and hurt in this life. And we'll experience it over and over again. And we need Josephs who again and again add life and minister healing to us. A Joseph kind of person is one who makes a difference. They add life and spiritual wealth to Jesus' disciples. They are givers and helpers. They bring increase by their servant hearts. And I see many of those people in this church right here who time and time again will serve and help and bless the body of Christ. And I want to encourage you, continue to do so. Continue to be like Joseph of Arimathea. And let's grow in being like Joseph of Arimathea. The Lord wants us to continue to be ones who add and who give and not take away. Each of us needs Josephs in our lives, people that add spiritual life to us. I need Josephs in my life. If Jesus needed ministry, if Jesus himself needed ministry, if Jesus himself needed to be carried, every single person, the pastor of the greatest megachurch to the littlest disciple, Everyone needs ministry. Everyone needs life. Not to say that the pastor of the greatest megachurch is the best Christian. Probably not. Probably it's the opposite way around. <laughs> we all need people who add life to us. There's some people that just take away. They want, they want, they want. But try to find people that add life. People that care for you even when you're limp and at an end of yourself. God's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are men and women like Joseph. They equip, they empower, and they add. And so you want these men and women in your life I thank God for Anna and Lizzie and Missy, how they have been adding to us, blessing us, how Peter, all over the years, and Christina have been adding life, and Emma. And I could go around looking at all of you, some people giving, some people serving, some people doing both, some people speaking, but adding adding life, and we want to be those, and we also need those who add life to us. Ultimately, these Josephs put us in a place to receive resurrection life in Jesus. They encourage us, even carry us to God's rock of refuge. So here was Joseph carrying Jesus into this place of protection, into this rock of refuge, 
into a place where the wild beast would not get to Jesus' body and tear it apart. Where no one could come and steal the body. It was in a place, it was hidden. And many times we don't reflect on the Saturday. But the only way to the Sunday is through the Saturday, is through the Sabbath, is through that rock where Christ was in. And I don't care how dark, how dark of a situation you were in, know this, Jesus was there on the cross and in the tomb. He was in the darkest place. Even everything became dark on Good Friday. And then there was no light in the tomb up until the resurrection. So the first step into receiving resurrection life is ceasing from our own works and entering into the retreat of God as our rock. And David is often celebrating and singing about God as his rock. Look at uh, Psalm 62, 1 through 8. I want to read this to you. Psalm 62, 1 through 8. My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. Say my rock. Now when David is talking about God being his rock, he's not talking about a little rock. He's talking about a big stronghold, a refuge, a place of safety that he could retreat to. Say my rock again. Amen. Good, good work. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. Selah. My soul wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Salah. So again, notice how David is singing and writing about his rock. He would often be in these rocky places finding refuge. He was finding refuge from Saul who was out to kill him. But he was ultimately finding refuge not among the physical rocks, but God himself being his rock. And we need to run into the rock and the cleft of the rock. Find our rest. Find our strength. God is our rock. And we sing about it. And it's a good thing to sing about. How about a couple other verses about this before we move on? And most of the weight of the message is on the first two points here. What we read in Psalm 94, 22, but... 
The Lord has been my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. And then we read in Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Amen. And then Psalm 71, verse 3. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. Notice he was continually coming to Yahweh as his rock. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. You have given commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. So this is a continual theme of David. The rock he is sing, singing about, like I said before, is not a small little rock. Instead, it means a huge rock that's immovable, a place where you can find refuge. And it's in the rock, in this place of Sabbath rest, that you will find resurrection life. So let the Holy Spirit and God's Josephs carry you to the rock that is higher than you. Remember what David prayed? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now this leads us to the O. Open yourself to God's breath. Open yourself to God's breath. So when you're in that rock of refuge, that rock that is higher than you, David says, the rock that is higher than I. When you're in that place, open yourself to God's breath. In the beginning, Adam came to life. How? You know. Because of God's breath. God breathed in his nostrils and he became a living being, a living soul. God's breath is his spirit, his ruach. So when you read spirit, in the scriptures, you should think about God's breath or it could be God's wind. It's God's life that's blowing. And, and we see in Ezekiel chapter 37 that when there's all these dry bones, Ezekiel has to prophesy. And he prophesies that the breath would come from all the four winds and breathe on this, uh, all these bones and these bones as they begin to form, to breathe on them so that they become a mighty army. And the only way as God's people we're going to become a mighty army is through the breath of life. Anna taught at Bible school. It was, it was beautiful teaching about returning back to the source. Returning back to the source. We need to return back to the garden and we need to return back to God's breath the beginning God's breath he wants to breathe in us when we're born again we receive that breath he comes and he begins to live in us but that's not the end we need to continually receive God's breath and life has a way of knocking the breath out of you <laughs> and it Jesus the devil and all the people that 
hated God at the time, though he was dying for them, and he still forgave them. All of those people knocked the very breath out of Jesus, that he was totally helpless. He needed to be carried to the tomb, even though he was the Son of God. When we breathe in, it's called inspiration. Do you know that? When we breathe out, it's called expiration. Breathe in. That's inspiration. Breathe out. That's expiration. Now, many people get inspiration from all other sources, all different sources, but the highest inspiration and the one that God wants for his people is his very own breath. We are breathing into our very souls, into our hearts and our minds and our emotions, God's own breath. I need that breath. And so, Lord, I, open, I might be helpless. I may feel helpless. I'm crucified with Christ, but Lord, breathe that breath of life on me so that I can truly live. And it's through God's breath that we truly live. Now, when you put yourself in the right place, the rock, then you can receive God's breath. Through the cross, the Father brought Jesus right back to the beginning. Through his death, Jesus was like Adam, in the dust. Remember, God formed Adam from the dust of the earth. Could he also be translated as clay from the, from the ground, from the clay? Adam comes from the Hebrew Adama, and Adama is the ground. So Adam comes from Adama, the ground. And there's that word play there in Genesis. Through the cross, the Father brought Jesus right back to the beginning. Through his death, Jesus was like Adam in the dust, unable to save himself or bring about life himself. And you, I want us to see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. But we'll read this. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And we know that the tomb was in a garden. Even when Jesus rose from the dead, they thought he was the gardener. They did not recognize him. That happened over and over after Jesus was revealing himself after his resurrection. They didn't realize it was him. Jesus was in a garden, and that's where the tomb was. It's in that garden tomb that the Father breathes life again into Jesus and he comes alive and he's resurrected, the final, last Adam. And it's the same way when we allow God to have full control over our lives, even though it means suffering for us, even though it will mean death to ourself, even though it's painful, when we allow God to have full control of our lives and we put ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice and we let him sow us like a seed into his garden, 
we receive his breath. His breath of his life, his breath of life, his wind of life. So in God's dealings with us, God often has to slay us. Though he slay me, I will trust in him. God will often have to slay us to bring us to that place of being in the dust so that we can then participate and experience his resurrection life. He did it over and over like that for the apostles. And then Paul said, I want to know in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's the part we often want to leave, leave out. But through the fellowship of his sufferings, that is how we enter into resurrection life. The two go together. You can't have resurrection life without the fellowship of his sufferings. But how beautiful it is when we fellowship in his sufferings. And we fellowship in his sufferings, especially when we start discipling people. And the same things that the disciples did to Jesus, they do to us. And then we're in pain. We're broken. But we need to rely on resurrection life. And the work of discipleship is not merely pastors and leaders. It's for everyone in the body of Christ to become like Jesus, to be a disciple maker. So we all need to be asking ourselves, who am I discipling? When I first came to Australia, my heart's cry was, Lord, here I am. You've called me here to plant the church and start a ministry. You sent me here. I don't know anyone except Anna and, and some of her friends and family, but I really don't know anyone. Lord, if you call me to this, you've got to give me some disciples. And ultimately, for me, they're not my disciples, they're his disciples. And that's when I met Chris Hackett. He was the first one. I took him into my home, and he just got saved. And I started to teach him. And then one after another, people started to come. Now, Chris and Cheryl, they're pastoring a church on the north side. One after another, different disciples came. Why do I share this? It's not about me. I, I, I want to work myself out of a job. <laughs> I want you also to make disciples because that's what Jesus has called us to. And in order to do that, we need God's resurrection life. We cannot do it in our own self. It's impossible. So this brings us to the third point. And we're almost finished here. The C. Because we're spelling rock, R-O-C. And then the next last one will be K. The C. Cover yourself, or rather let yourself be covered, in Christ's righteousness, nature, and character. Cover yourself, or rather let yourself be covered, in Christ's righteousness, nature, and character. John 1938, again, we'll read this account of Joseph of Arimathea in John 1938. We won't read the whole thing. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Well, now the secret is let loose. <laughs> that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. 
Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, I often saw the grave clothes as something at first ugly, but then the Holy Spirit has been highlighting these linen cloths and the, all the accounts tell us that these linen cloths were clean. They were white. They were pristine. They were the best. And then the spices were so valuable and costly. And so Joseph is caring for the body of Christ by wrapping and covering Jesus in these linen cloths and the spices. And that's what we do when people get wounded. We wrap their wounds, don't we? And Eva not feeling that well today, but she just broke her bone, and, and uh, it was quite painful, and it's wrapped now for about a month. And here Jesus is filled with wounds on his back, on his hands, on his side, it's, he's pierced, on, on his feet. He is wounded, and he has died, and Joseph wraps him in these clean linen cloths, the breath of God's resurrection life does not always come immediately. You'll need to wait for it. It didn't come to Jesus immediately. He had to wait in that place of Sabbath rest. We're speaking about his body here. And so we have to wait on God. We need to wait on his spirit. Remember, Jesus had to wait in the tomb during the Sabbath for resurrection life. And also remember, you are the body of Christ. So the Lord will bring you through this type of experience in a lesser way. But Jesus said, "If you anyone, anyone want to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It was during this time before Jesus received that breath of life once again, that Joseph of Arimathea covered him completely in clean, white, aromatic linen. And we know in Scripture that linen refers to righteousness. Jesus' body was completely covered in myrrh and other fragrant spices. And though the tomb was dark, like I said before, and sealed, it was very fragrant, and it wasn't cheap spices. And it's in the time of darkness that the Holy Spirit wants to cover you and hover over you in the fragrances of Christ's righteousness, nature, and character. So we go right back to the beginning, Genesis 1-2, and what is the Holy Spirit doing? He is hovering over His unformed creation. In the darkness, he is hovering over in a caring nature. That's what the original Hebrew uh, hints at. 
every good pastor, leader, and disciple maker, their very goal is to cover you in Christ's righteousness. This is not the covering of, of some churches where they talk about covering like authoritative leadership, but rather covering of Christ's nature found through the word. And if we're going to be like Joseph of Arimathea, we need to cover one another in Christ's righteousness and his nature. And when we're talking about the armor of God, the full armor of God, we're talking about covering our body. But what are we covering our body with? We're covering our body with Christ's very nature, his truth, his righteousness, his peace, his shalom, his faith, his salvation and hope, his sword. And like him, we pray and intercede. And so God wants us to cover. We're wounded, guys. We're wounded. Many of us are wounded. We're hurt. We're experiencing the death that's in this life. We're experiencing sickness. But the answer is wrap yourself in Christ's righteousness. Wrap yourself in his nature and his character. Let that cover you. Because it's in Christ, when you're in Christ, when you're wrapped with Christ, when you're covered with Christ, when you're in Christ, that life comes into you. And then life will then flow out of you. And this is a life that we continually need. It's not just that salvation. It's not a one-time thing, but rather a cycle of continual need of God's supernatural resurrection life. And you see this in Colossians 3, 3 through 4. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Do I hear an Amen. And this is the road. I'm showing you the road to resurrection life. And this leads us to the end. The end of the road. The K. Know your king and his kingdom. Know your king and his kingdom. John eleven twenty five through 26. We read what Jesus says as he causes Lazarus to rise from the dead. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I want us to repeat that. I am the resurrection and the life. Let's repeat it again. I am the resurrection and the life. You don't have to repeat this part. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? A few of you believe it. <laughs> so that's how it begins. Do you believe this? We need to know our king. You need to know your king and his kingdom. The last part of receiving resurrection life is knowing your king and his kingdom. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has conquered all sin, death, sickness, oppression, 
He has conquered it. He has risen from the dead. He has overcome Satan's power. Do you believe this? I don't hear much of a conviction. Do you believe this? That's better. His kingdom is full of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's no kingdom or culture or business or person more powerful than His kingdom. There is nothing more powerful. There's nothing greater than His kingdom. Paul's cry, like we saw in the beginning, was, I want to know Him. The power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Jesus is the rock. It talks about that in 1 Corinthians 10.4, that Christ is the rock. Jesus is the rock. And when we come into Jesus, we find Sabbath rest. When we come into the rock of Jesus, it's there where our Father can breathe life into us once again. And we need that continual breath of life. It's there in the rock that we can be covered with God's grace, covered with God's mercy, covered with His blood, covered with His uh, goodness and His love. I want to be covered today. And that's been my prayer all this week. Cover me. Wrap me. I want to be totally covered. And this is the road to resurrection life. Knowing Him is our rock as our king, as our resurrection life. The road to resurrection life is always through the pathway of humility. It's one of the things I wrote about this week that Anna and I have learned over the years is that the humble way is the miraculous way. The humble way is the way to resurrection. It's painful, but it's the only way to know God's power deep within and then walk in that life and power. So let's all stand. I'm going to invite the worship team up in a minute, and then the last thing we'll do is we're going to gather around the communion table and have communion together. So what's the way to resurrection? The R is rest. The O is open yourself to God. Can you say rest with me? Can you say open? The C is cover. Can you say cover? cover. And the K is know. No. Know the king and his kingdom. That's what it means to go to the rock. There's a beautiful hymn that Edwin Hatch wrote. You may have heard it. You probably heard it. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. That I may love the way you love and do what you do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until my will is one with yours to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die, but live with you the perfect life for all eternity. So here we are, Lord. It's Resurrection Sunday. And we are a people, each and every one of us, who need your resurrection life. We need that breath of life to blow into us. And we thank you that Jesus rose from the dead. The stone was miraculously removed from the tomb. He walked out in power and glory. 
Never again could death and Satan and sin conquer him. He walked out in authority and he revealed himself to 500 people and he's revealed himself to even more. We're here because you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, I'm asking that you breathe on your people. That we would accept your way of the cross. That we would be lovers of the cross, friends of the cross. That we would keep on retreating back to you as our rock of refuge. Continually opening up ourselves, saying, Lord, I need your breath, because without your breath, I can do nothing. So I pray that you would just just stamp our minds with this revelation of you as our rock. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. This is not an altar call for the unsaved, but for those who are saved who need the breath of God afresh. If you need the breath of God afresh,